0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 160. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am
1: your host, Riley Bowman. Riley Bowman, the guy who is the diva of ConcealedCarry.com. I am Jacob Paulson. A diva of Concealedcarry.com?: Absolutely. You're, you're like that talent that we have to like keep happy and like careful what you say around him, you know, like keep, keep, keep the talent happy. <laughs> oh, it's all going to my head. I can't believe
0: it. I'm moving up in the world.) <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, one of those big wigs that does uh, you know a morning radio show in Denver here or something. Trust
1: me, the person that does the morning radio show in Denver is not a big wig of squat.
0: You're right. The Concealed Carry podcast is a much bigger deal than local Denver radio, right? No question. Yeah. Well, and Jacob is the man who accidentally shipped the wrong order to one of our dealers twice in a row.
1: so painful, man. So painful. I feel like a moron. The guy wanted the double action vests. I sent him the tropic vests. He texted me and said, hey, you sent me the wrong vest. I said, so sorry. So then I went into our system and sent him the double action. No, wait. He wanted travel safe. See, I'm still confused. Dang it. The point is, I sent him the wrong vest twice in a row. I feel like an idiot.
0: Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for him. Thanks. Not sorry for you. You, you brought it upon yourself.
1: I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being a sympathetic good friend. I'm all heart.
0: Uh, folks, did you know we sell vests? Probably many did not. When we acquired the domain, concealedcarry.com, we also acquired with it the business that previously owned it, and they made their name by making concealed carry vests. So we do we do still make and sell those. Not, not maybe a lot of them, but we do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, relative to other product, I guess. We don't move a lot of them, but... Uh... Yep, people like them, apparently, and people buy them. And I'm not much of a vest guy. I know you're not either, but apparently some people out there like those things, so there you have it. Yeah,
0: yeah if you're looking for a... I like to call them a shoot-me-first vest. Um, you can pick one up at concealedcarry.com. <laughs> there there you go. Actually, you know, I could probably pull it off uh, by wearing those when I'm out on a uh, photography expedition because they look like a photographer's vest, too.
1: Or a fisherman. I mean, here, here'd be the yeah, true, true. If I'm going to make a play for our for our vests, like here's what I will say is that a lot of the shoot me vests out there look like an awful marriage of your photographer's vest and something that 511, you know, put out that has like, you know, velcro for you to slap on all sort of, like these are not that. They're definitely meant they they're definitely designed properly as a concealment vest. So, while a person might jokingly call them a, a shoot me first vest, they they really are pretty covert. They're not overtly t- tactical. You could not call these vests tactical, right right? Well, and because I
0: thought of it and brought it up, I, I do think actually that would be a very valid uh, concealment you know solution or strategy would be to throw one of these vests on. You could totally rig yourself up with all kinds of fi- firepower underneath it because it would be concealed and then throw a camera with camera strap over your over your neck or shoulder and like bam like you're a photographer but you're actually packing some serious heat.
1: Well there's a handful of environments photography is not the only one but but yeah there's definitely potential application for a concealment vest. I just don't tend to find myself in that situation very often. <laughs>
0: True that. Well today's actual official sponsor of this episode is Mantis X. Being called the instructor in your pocket, Mantis X attaches to your firearm and sends real-time data back to your mobile phone that will guide you in correcting the most common deficiencies as a shooter. I'll tell you what, with me personally, I learned some valuable information about my skills and my application of those skills to gripping and pulling the trigger on a handgun because I use Mantis X. And that allowed me to make some adjustments. It's made me a better shooter. So I I think that'll do the same. It'll do the same for you as well. Please check out Mantis X. Uh, We have a review video we did. Uh, It's on concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X. That's actually the sales page, by the way. So you can go pick them up there, buy them there. And you'll see that video there where Jacob and I test Mantis X and basically show how awesome it is. It's pretty dang awesome. It would be even more awesome if I could find mine. (laughs)
1: <laughs> is, you, is it buried in the bottom of a range bag somewhere?
0: I have looked and looked and looked, and I do not know where it has gone, and it's very frustrating.
1: Yeah. You can borrow mine anyway. for a fee, or you can go by our warehouse and just grab one.
0: I, sh- Yeah, since I'm over in Utah all the time, but uh, <laughs> I should have grabbed it from you last night, actually, since I saw you, but uh, oh well. Anywho, uh, Cool, cool sponsor, cool product. I hope you'll check out Mantis X. Once again, concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X. That is M A N T I S X. And today's episode is also brought to you by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self Defense and Live Fire Drill Cards by Burnett. Great product as well. We appreciate both uh, Live Fire Drill Cards uh, by Burnett as well as Andrew Branca's The Law of Self Defense. And so. Today's episode, by the way, is handgun lights and lasers. Everything you wanted to know. I Well, maybe not everything, but we'll, we'll try to get into it pretty well, do it some justice. But before we get started, I did want to mention that today's episode was supposed to be with Chad Enos at Celtech. Mm-hmm. We We told people on Monday, Jacob, we said, hey, we're going to have an interview. We're going to record a podcast interview with with chad tomorrow we said that i think on 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 actually recorded that sunday night and uh, that was the intent but uh we got to caltech we saw chad we hung out got the full tour but unfortunately chad was feeling a little bit under the weather and he did not fill up to recording a podcast so we rescheduled with him a few days later thinking we'll still get this out by wednesday or thursday and chad got in a vehicle accident Get this. He got rear-ended from behind at like 45, 50 miles an hour. He was dead stopped. And the dude that hit him didn't, didn't even touch his brakes. Just bam. Uh, It was his, uh, Chad's F-150 pickup. He said it lifted it up in the air. Um, And he's doing okay, by the way, he's, he's really sore and hurting a little bit in his back and neck, but uh, we're sorry that that happened. And we're definitely going to reconnect with Chad. Uh, So, we had to scramble and throw together something di- different for uh, this week's what would be our usual Wednesday episode that's coming now to you on Friday. So happy Friday. Have a great weekend. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about lights and lasers.
1: Yep. And chattiness will come on another day.
0: Yep. Working on getting him reset up and you know, as soon as he is feeling better and uh, isn't having to go to the doctor and deal with insurance and stuff. So, anyway. So let's uh, jump into it, Jacob. Uh, We actually had a listener recommend this to us. He said, hey, I would really appreciate it if you guys would talk about uh, lights and lasers.
1: Yeah. And this is a cool topic. And I'll add it's one where I personally have changed a lot of my opinions over the years and yet, yet might still change some of my opinions related to lights and lasers because there is a lot of chatter about this in the industry. There's a lot of opinions um, and and some good viable arguments, you know, related to, to lights and lasers.
0: Well, things change and products change. Technology gets better and sometimes things of the past that were a problem Uh become not a problem because of you know because technology fixes it or whatever um so i think we're in a pretty exciting time as an industry because there's a lot of really cool innovative uh, light products as well as laser products uh and so there's a lot to choose from and sometimes parsing through that could be a challenge but um i think this is a very viable topic for right now uh Let's we'll, we'll we'll probably start by breaking down lights, talking about both uh, handheld as well as weapon mounted. Um, handheld, I think, is is a pretty straightforward topic. I mean, we could probably actually dive into a few tangents just on handheld alone. But uh, as it relates to concealed carry and self defense with your sidearm, with your handgun, uh, using a handheld light. Um, I mean, we, we we'll we'll try to keep it in that context. I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. So let's start, perhaps, Riley, with handheld versus weapon mounted. What are, are some things that might make you decide? You know, between those two uh, options.
0: Yeah. Um, well, let me address weapon mounted lights first, because with the obvious pro, you know, uh, meaning for uh, the case of a weapon mounted light. Uh, the obvious pro for that is having a light mounted on the gun is pretty, a pretty dang good idea. I mean, you're going to, you're going to point a deadly weapon at somebody. And right before that moment, when you decide to press that trigger, uh, you really ought to have some good light on them. If it's a low light situation, you want to be able to see everything you need to see, uh, before that finger finally, you know, follows through and pulls the trigger, Back to the rear. And so, I mean, that's an obvious benefit. And if you carry a a handgun with a weapon-mounted light on it all the time, well, then you know that light's always with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the challenge, obviously, is that that uh, weapon-mounted light is not as convenient from a holster standpoint. Uh, There's fewer options available as far as holsters that you might use to carry your gun. Uh, It's a little bit bulkier. It's going to add some weight. I mean, not a lot of weight, but it's going to add some nonetheless. Um, you know, I, I see some of these guys that carry uh, in the appendix position with a weapon amount of light, and while I get it, you know, but I have had a hard time with that to some degree because I already feel like I'm kind of getting some. You know, when I'm carrying in the appendix position, uh, that crease in my leg is already feeling a little bit of a pinch, and adding more bulk to the front of the gun, I don't think is going to help that issue, uh, at all. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely some definite pros to having a weapon mounted of light. There's definitely some cons and, uh, I, I might get into a few more things, but as far as wh- handheld light, uh, you got to have a handheld light. I, I think regardless, even if you're not armed, uh, for whatever reason, if you, if you're in a situation where you cannot have a handgun on you, uh, you definitely got to have a flashlight and the cool thing with flashlights is they almost always, you know, there's no problem getting through security through TSA or other forms of security with the light and a light can be your best friend. It can be its own tactical tool. Uh, I mean, some of these can be very effective striking devices, uh, which... That's not as you know a weapon-mounted light's not going to be as viable of a striking device uh, because then you're also striking with your gun. Uh, there might be situations where you can't pull that gun out or you can't use that gun as a striking device. So I mean, obviously, like the, the handheld flashlight becomes almost like a a, a baton or you know a kubaton, uh, that sort of thing. So that that's that can be effective there as well. So there's a lot of uses to a handheld flashlight. Besides the fact that it has a hopefully a really bright beam of light that is disorienting or blinding to an attacker,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and consider that there might be situations in which, you know, if you're doing any sort of one-handed shooting, and I think we've talked before about different situations where you might have to shoot one-handed, maybe you've taken an injury or. Maybe, you know, you're using that hand to hold, you know, someone back or, you know, you're holding a child or, you know, whatever it might be, then it makes it real hard now to, you know, use a handheld light in a shooting situation, right? You're much better off at this point with that weapon mounted light. So that's a huge pro for weapon mounted lights too, is that it's, it's something provided,
0: can, Go provided, provided you can activate that weapon mounted light though. <laughs> that's so I'll, that's I'll talk about that.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a question of skill and ability certainly and, and training, but, but, you can't. It's really hard to operate a gun and a handheld light, uh, one handed. Not that it can't be done, because you and I both know it can. But uh, you're much better off if that light's just already there. Uh, now, you you mentioned kind of the the difficulty of carrying a gun with a light. I I I don't know a lot of people. I, I shouldn't say a lot. I don't think it's a standard thing in the industry for people to have a weapon mounted light on their e d c gun uh, that they're carrying in a in a concealment holster all the time, and I don't uh, i'll just I'll just say it out loud I don't okay so if I'm a bad guy um you you can call me out. I do carry a handheld light uh on me all the time, so i could I could use that you know I, there's various methods I might you know either rig it onto onto my shooting hand or just hold it and get that done. But on a home defense gun, where I'm not worried about holsters, that thing just sits in a safe, and I just boom grab it during the night. That 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 has a weapon-mounted light, and I I count on that because I don't have to grab two things. It's attached. I you know I don't have to worry about it fitting in a holster. And, and an interesting thing too that that I've I'll throw out there. Some people say, well, with a with a handheld light, I can offset the point of the light from my gun. You know, they, there might be this, this sense the sense that you know some people have that if I use a weapon-mounted light and the bad guy or gal, the BG, just starts shooting toward my light, they're going to shoot toward me and my gun, which is centered on me. Whereas if I'm using a handheld light, I can offset that, that that light from the body, and so that's an argument that is often made. What do you what do you say to that, Riley?
0: I say that I think you should, uh, you know, get your minions under control in the background there as they're grinding up the body parts from your, you know, recent uh, murderous escapades. But uh, anyway. It's a (laughs) vacuum, (laughs) Riley. Oh, (laughs) sounds like a blender. (laughs) Uh, Things never go exactly as we plan on the podcast, do they? But anyway, uh, so, well, you know, what I think is, I do think it's becoming more viable for people to carry a light on their weapon on a Daily basis, uh, things are getting smaller. Uh, they're getting brighter, uh, even though the packages of the, of those same lights are getting smaller. I mean, as a great example, the Surefire XC1, a uh, very very small, very compact light that uh, is still plenty bright to be useful in a, uh, I think, in a close, uh, you know, distance encounter. Uh, 200 lumens, that's plenty of brightness. I think on a handgun in a lot of these close encounters. So, but it's a very small package, and it and and that is one I have looked at and considered implementing as part of my daily carry. But once again, we get into this whole. Now I've got to change all my holsters, and now I've got to find holsters, which you know some holster companies will make a light that accommodate or a holster that accommodates that light, and many aren't going to. They're just not going to be ahead of the curve enough to do that. So um, I, I do think though that we are seeing more and more people. Carrying lights on EDC guns and it's becoming more of a thing, but we it's far from having deep, you know, market penetration. Certainly, carrying some, you know, a, a what is it, uh, uh, uh Streamlight sorry, I was losing my Streamlight TLR1 or Surefire XE300, uh, or X300, th- those are pretty large lights and they're pretty hard to fit in my opinion. I've got a holster. I've got a holster for a P320 that'll fit a Streamlight tlr one and I've put it on. I've carried it in the classic IWB position, and it's definitely a little bit more noticeable bulk. I definitely feel it more where a standard gun I don't, but it's possible, and I've done it, and I like the idea of it. Now, you were talking about the handheld light, and, you know, well, I can use that light and create some distance between the light and myself, the light and my gun, and maybe that has some tactical advantages. It can in certain circ- certain circumstances. Some other things we should address, obviously, is it's not always the best practice. I mean, it's going to depend on the situation. It's one thing if you have a reasonable reasonable belief that you have an active threat and you're searching for that threat and so you have your gun drawn and you're using your weapon mounted light to search for that threat. That's one thing, but that's a rare situation for civilians especially. Uh so ideally I'm going to be searching with my handheld light. And this is why regardless if I had that weapon mounted light, I definitely and you you still need to have a handheld light available. This is true whether you're a cop or a civilian. It doesn't matter. I know the cops get this. They're used to this. They're they're doing this sort of thing all the time, every day. But do, do definitely do not think just because you put a light on your firearm that you don't need to pack that bulky uh, handheld light around with you anymore. Uh, so. Yeah, we definitely want to have handheld lights I think all the time, 100% of the time regardless of what's on the gun. And even in situations where we may have weapon mounted light, we may still need that handheld light for doing certain searches or for trying to identify certain things when there is no deadly threat present. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously a critical, you know, piece to to make sure we understand. I I know that probably most of our listeners do get that. Uh, but uh, we definitely want to have a quality handheld light. and if we can, I think definitely there's a case to be made or to ha- to, uh, to be had for having uh, a weapon mounted light. but that one primary, like I said, and when I started is for the moment that we are deploying and pro- and potentially using that weapon. so uh, by far i I mean, I'd never expect if i had a if I had a weapon mounted light, I would never expect to have to use it. Uh, as a civilian, uh, but I definitely use my handheld flashlights on a daily basis and I I know I'm not alone in that. I know most people uh, probably are in that same boat. Um, I know you keep a light on you all the time. Uh, Many of my friends do as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think that we have to bear in mind that different that there's different purposes for a light, and therefore there's probably better tools for some such for some purposes than others, right? If I'm just trying to find my way in the dark, or I'm trying to figure out what's going on, or, or identify if I have a threat or not, you know, no one wants to be swinging around a gun to figure out if that's a threat over there. Um, that, that that may not be ideal, and not to say it couldn't be done in a pinch, but probably not the best thing to do with a gun is identify if you have a threat or not uh, by using Using that light that way, or by you know trying to get through your your hallway in the dark, you know, in the middle of the night, like oh, I just grab my gun, light it up. Um, that means just those 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 are probably not the best use of that tool. And I think that's what you're trying to get at, Riley, is that for for that weapon-mounted light, that's great to illuminate a target, so that I can be sure to take out the Joker, turn off the light, and move on in my life. But that. If I'm just using a flashlight and kind of the traditional day to day use of a flashlight, a weapon mounted light is probably not the appropriate or best tool. And so having a handheld light is, is better.
0: Yeah, so you brought up a interesting circumstance and that that was the you're searching your home. And mm, lots of different people Right. And some people might be thinking, okay, yeah, uh, it's my home. I, I'm not out in public, so it's not an issue as far as somebody seeing me with my gun as I'm roaming about in my house, searching with my light that's mounted to my gun. But I would not do that. I will not do that. Uh, I cannot... <laughs> You know, and I know we, we we've talked many times about the bump in the night, and you know we'll just just hunker down, and call nine one one. Well, I'm not calling nine one one on every bump that I hear in the night. And have there been times I've gotten up and 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 checked something in the house just to be certain that everything's all right? Yes, but you want to make wise tactical decisions in those situ- in those situations. And I'll tell you, one of those for sure is not wandering about the house with the gun up at eye level with my light turned on because I have other occupants of the house. And sometimes those bumps in the night are my children. And I'm thinking, I'm reminded of of the, uh, we just shared a story on a podcast uh It's been a few episodes ago, maybe a dozen or so now, where a father shot his daughter as she was coming home, and he was not expecting her. And she came through the door, and I guess the lighting was not the greatest, and he just thought, there, you know, maybe I think she had like a hoodie on, so he couldn't see her face very well or something like that. And the fact is, he did not have enough light, he didn't have the proper tools to identify who that was before he started pulling the trigger. And that's a problem. And that's what you need a handheld light for, for sure. In circumstances like that. And there's nothing wrong with me. I mean, have I, have I wandered the house with my hand on my gun uh, and a flashlight in other hand? I absolutely have a few times. Uh, gun is down at a low ready position. It's not gonna pose any sort of threat on, you know, towards anyone in my household, but I definitely don't wanna take the chance of having that in a ready position when I got to be concerned with locating and identifying where my children and my wife are uh, and then, you know, run the chance of being startled or surprised and uh, you know, reacting uh, and which that certainly can and does happen. So yeah, handheld lights, absolute essential tool. I have several right next to my bed. (laughs) I have, I keep one in the safe with the gun. So as part of deploying that weapon, you know, Quick access safe. The door pops open. I reach in. I grab the gun. I reach in with my other hand. I grab my light, and now and I keep a weapon mounted light for sure on the on the guns that I put away at bedtime in my quick access safe. That has a weapon mounted light on it. I gotta. Ha- I, I do feel like that's an essential tool. Um, it can come in handy in a situation. But I grab that, and then I'm also grabbing that secondary light. And actually, it's really my primary light. That's what's going to be used first. Um, but this brings up a really good. Good question, Jacob. You talked about uh, shooting one handed, and you know it might be challenging to 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 do to use a handheld light and shoot one handed. Yes, it is challenging, but I, I want to take this opportunity real quick. And I know I've been going for a minute here, but I want to take the opportunity to remind people to not give up in a fight just because you don't have a certain tool that maybe you think you need, or maybe you actually do need. And what I mean by that is, let's say that I am my everyday carry. I mean, right now I've got my Glock 19 on me. It does not currently have a weapon-mounted light on it, okay? I do have a handheld flashlight, all right? So let's just suppose that I'm in some sort of uh, deadly force encounter, and I draw out my my handheld flashlight, and I draw out my pistol, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I believe I have a threat, My light is going on, I am searching, now I identify that threat, and before I can get a shot off, the threat shoots me in one of my hands. Now I've lost the use of that hand or that arm, okay, but I still have a light, I still got a gun. Now, truth be told, by the way, in most houses in America, in most cities in America, is it ever totally dark? No if I already got that light on that threat and I have identified that threat and I can still see that threat, you know, I can at least see the silhouette or the shadow uh, and I'm confident. I mean, like I I can see it clearly. Uh, Maybe I can't see the details in that shadow, but I've already identified. I've already recognized I have a threat. Well, I maybe no no longer need that flashlight quite so much. Um, But let's suppose maybe I haven't identified that that is in fact a threat. Don't give up. Guess what? I can have my gun in my holster, take my handheld light with my one good hand, turn it on, stick it in my mouth, grab the gun, and use it one-handed. And I know that's not very fast, and I know that's not ideal, and I know you may still lose that fight, but guess what? That's what not giving up means. And you got to do whatever it takes to not give up, to try to win the fight. And so if that means clicking on the light, sticking in your mouth, grabbing your gun, and and firing, that's what you do.
1: Well, you also can set a light down. I don't know that, you know, we have seeming how, you know, this uh, impression that we have to have it on us. I have to hold it in my hand. I have to have it in my mouth, stick it in my ear, you know, whatever. Like just drop it on the ground or on the bed, or on the furniture, and, you know, point it toward the doorway, or the hallway, or the whatever, and it's like, boom, you have an illuminated area, that handheld light's doing its job. Now, yeah, it's true, if you have to move, if you have to take a different position, it's going to be more difficult to, you know, to, to now take that with you, but that can get the job done, too. You don't even have to have it on you. And so, yeah, Absolutely. There's, I think, you know, kind of this, and I know that we've gone a long time just talking about handheld versus weapon mounted, and, and within that context, we've given a lot of other thoughts. But I, for me, what I'm really trying to kind of concisely take from this conversation is the weapon-mounted light has, is a very specific purpose light. It is really there to illuminate my target while I shoot at it. And and that, that's kind of what it does. Whereas a handheld light is a very multi-purpose tool. It can do tons of stuff, including illuminating my target when I shoot at it. And so, you know, limiting yourself to saying, well, I, I'm in this camp, I, I only believe in weapon mounted lights, or no, I only believe in handheld lights is a really foolish approach. I mean, why, why not both wherever possible? And handheld lights particularly are so easy to have on you all the time, that it would seem like a foolish notion to not have one.
0: Absolutely. So good thoughts there. And I know you, you said we've been Talking just about this handheld versus weapon mounted uh, issue for some time. Well, I, I do think that's a really relevant discussion, and I'm glad we've been having it today uh, because these are definitely things that should be talked about and discussed and thought about. Um, that I'm I suppose that some of our listeners have not maybe thought about t- quite to that extent. Some of you out there, um, I was thinking too, I mean, the tactic you mentioned, Jacob, about turn on a light. Throwing it on the ground, uh, assuming, <laughs> I don't know if throwing it would be the best move or not. I don't know. I mean, you have no guarantee about how it's going to land uh, in a white-walled house. It probably doesn't matter where that thing lands or which direction it's pointed or how it's uh, oriented because light's going to be bouncing and reflecting everywhere and lighting things up. Uh, but that's definitely a tactic, by the way, that can be used uh, where if I had a long hallway and I was down to one arm or I needed to do something else with my other hand, I could turn on a light lay it down in the hallway, illuminate the whole hallway. I can see everything I need to see and I can take up cover and I can respond however I need to. Although I do prefer in most situations, the ability to have a momentary on switch. And so starting to talk a little bit about the gear uh, for handheld flashlight, I must absolutely have a momentary on and off. I've got to be able in an instant to, Lightly press that button, have the light come on when I want it to, see what I need to see and release and have it go off immediately. No clicky clicky, you know, none of that. Just on, off, see what I need to see. When it goes off, I have the opportunity to move, you know, because I've just exposed myself potentially. I mean, yes. Have I blinded my adversary? Perhaps. Uh, but does he know the general direction that light came from? Yes. And guess what? If he's armed, where are the bullets going to fly? where he saw the light last. And so in many situations, you may want to consider as you're trying to find or identify a threat, momentary on, off, and then you move. And Take up a good s- position to cover mm-hmm. and then be you know be ready to respond.
1: You said, you know for you, it's a deal breaker on a handheld light. I, I think it's also, for me, a deal breaker on a weapon not in light. Uh, I I just think a momentary on is a feature that I don't want to ever be without on any light. Not to say that there are no situations in which I wouldn't use the momentary on, but it is something that is so critical that I don't want any light that doesn't have it. So I think, yeah, I I think you described why very well, uh, but all lights, weapon mounted or otherwise, for me, must have momentary on.
0: Yeah, we saw this light at uh, NRA carry guard expo yeah and remember there's like this really wide beam thing and you know the whole idea was well you know why are we still shining lights that equally light in this uh uh conical pattern you know this big circle of light that gets wider and wider the further it gets out uh and and typically we have a center hot beam or hot spot and this product was you, via the use of prisms in the, in the lens of the light was basically taking that light and spreading it and making it very wide. So it was like a big line almost uh, so that you're lighting up. Like I could stand in, in a room, turn it on and it would light up basically three of the four corners of the room. Okay. That was the, that's the idea. And I can see an application for something like that. uh, To some degree, they said that, Hey, it's going to look like it's shining at you no matter where you are, if you're on the receiving end. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I didn't feel like it was as intense as it could be if I was instead shining a very focused beam into someone's eyes. Uh, But regardless of that, a bigger issue was that they were talking about it from a very tactical uh, perspective. They're like, this is a, this is this this should be what every police officer and tactical you know person has and i was like well then why doesn't it have a momentary on off switch and yep. i don't remember the answer they gave me but that was like i was like i'm done talking to you right now
1: <laughs> yeah short answer is they'll work on it um, and, and by the way, I've been in email correspondence with those guys. And if anyone wants to check out their light, uh, they call it the pro AB 500 and the website is F N G And there are some clever things about it, but to your point and, and kind of why you brought it up, where's my momentary on, like, <laughs> where, where is it? Uh, but let's talk, you know, along those same lines, Riley, let's go down that, that rabbit hole as to other switch related features. So, you know, how often do you pick up some, light at the store, weapon mounted or handheld. And a common thing that these guys are doing now is, you know, you press it once for this, twice for that, three times for this, four times for that, and then the fifth the fifth click turns it off or something. You know, bright, brighter, brightest, strobe, off. So let's talk a little bit about when, when are some times that, that might actually make sense and, you know, talking about handheld versus weapon mounted, where does it not make sense?
0: Yeah, good questions. You know, so here's the thing. For, for from a tactical standpoint, like as far as responding to a threat or searching for a threat, I want all the lumens, all the time, and like that's all I need. Okay, and so I don't care a lot of times if my light has dim settings from a tactical tactical perspective. But the thing is, a lot of times the light I carry on my person is meant for tactical as well as practical uses and so sometimes it is nice to have a light that can be dimmed to dimmer settings uh, number one is going to last longer and number two i don't need 300 or 400 or 1000 lumens 100% of the time when i'm just trying to not stumble over things in my garage at night or something you know and so but the challenge there therein lies that I have no problem having those additional settings, but sometimes accessing those settings can be really challenging. And also they can crop up or creep up on you when you least expect it. Meaning like maybe you're trying to activate your light and you want bright, you know, full lumens. And because you stumble in your activation of that light, you end up getting half of that. Or, you know, that that's a problem to me. So some of these rear tail cap switches that have multiple functions. I kind of struggle with because I have a tendency sometimes, especially if I'm using a light very quickly, like I'm like, okay, light on off and then like moving because I'm searching something. I'm looking for something really quickly. And then I'm so quick. I go and I hit it again and now it goes a strobe. It's like, ah, oh, great. I didn't want a strobe. You know? Um, I, One thing about, let me use this as a specific example, Streamlight. They have their 10-tap feature in a lot of their lights. It's pretty brilliant. Uh, It's not quite perfect for me, uh, but by default, I think their 10-tap setting, the default setting is you momentary on, and it's, you know, full lumens. It's bright. And then if you release and you hit a second time, uh, I believe it goes to a lower a dimmer setting. If you hit it a third time, it goes strobe. Okay. So if you tap 3 times it's strobe, if you tap twice it goes to it's low setting. If you if you just hit it once it's really bright. Um I have occasionally hit settings I was not trying to hit and I don't really care for that. Uh so the 10 tap can be reprogrammed. That's one of the big deals. That's why they call it 10 tap because if you if you tap it quickly like 10 times and then like hold or something then it goes into cha- to where you ch- you can change the settings. And the second setting I think is Low first and then high. So like you tap on one, it's low. You tap a second time. You know, if you go double tap, it goes bright. I I don't even really quite like that setting. I mean, unless it, the light is meant for practical use most of the time. Uh, for a tactical setting, I don't want to have to go twice to get my bright setting all the time. So then they have a third setting where it's just bright, full on, you know, max lumens all the time. And it does no other functions or features. Well, that would be the light. I would carry... Uh, especially if I was like a police officer and that's my main light for tactical use, I would set it, I would put it in that third setting using a 10 tap setting feature. And that's, that's the only thing I'd use that light for. And then maybe it had to have a secondary light. And a lot of cops do this where they can have their, their uh, lower settings. Um, so i mean that's just some things to think about now i have a fenix light here in my hand this is going to be my pick of the week by the way Uh, i'll tell you exactly what it is in a moment but fenix uh, has for some time had these uh second buttons um the buttons down closer to the bezel of the light and that allows you to change the settings and then the rear tail cap is your momentary on off as well as your your click on on or on off and uh I Kind of like this because I leave it typically in its bright setting all the time for tactical use It's ready to go And then when I want to I can hit that second light uh, This one particular one I have is one I have to be a little bit careful with because it it's a short enough light that it's easy If I'm not careful about how I place my hand on it to accidentally hit that second button so I'm still evaluating it from that perspective, but their larger lights definitely work really well in this regard. TK15 and uh, some of the bigger lights work really well in that type of application. Sorry, going mm-hmm. off you know on a, for a while there, but but to me it's a big deal uh, thinking about how that that light's turned on and the settings it comes with. Uh, some things to consider. Okay, if 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 a, if the switch on the rear tail cap is confusing, that's not a light for me, frankly.
1: Yeah, we should get those in our store. We should be selling those. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you 110%. And again, I would try and summarize it this way. If this, if this light's purpose is for me to use in a gunfight, then I just want it on or off. And when it's on, I want it really bright and I want to be able to click it on so that if I'm doing, you know, a lot of successive shooting, or I want to be able to momentary it on to get my shots off and then momentary it off. And that's, that's it. Like, I don't need any more rocket science. I mean, Riley, you remember the time we were, we were in that low light carbine class and I was running a light on my rifle, and I would flip it on, and then I would accidentally hit the brightness button. And, you know, a couple of series of fire would go by, and all of a sudden I'd wonder, crap, how come my light is so dim? Are my batteries dying? It's like, no, you turned down the brightness, you moron. And so it was like, crap so i had to you know turn to get it back bright again and the, you know and we were we were that was a two day class so we were wearing gloves we were running the guns pretty ragged and you know so those little things you know i could it's so easy to you know not be able to operate that light the way you want to be able to operate it because it's overly com- complex and we how often do we talk about fine fine motor skills versus gross motor skills and yet we have these flashlights where it's like press three times for this, two times for that, hold, and then press two more times. It's like what? Like, you know, talk about like f- gross motor skills. Like push that crap. It's on. Push it again. Right. It's off. You know, let's let's get it done. Um well, and, and, and sp- yeah. specific to your light
0: by the way, I mean that was an interesting one because uh, I I had and still have on my main car being a Fenix TK fifteen light. It's a great light. It's super Same, right? bright has a really nice throw I mean like a very focused center beam uh, with about the right amount of of uh, you know what do you call it not not focused but yet the flood okay that's what I was trying to say I mean you got it's got a really nice tight focus beam and then it's got just the right mix I think of flood light uh, to to light up the periphery a little bit. Um, so we, I, you know, I, at my recommendation, you were going to get a TK 15 before we went to that class and you did, but the thing is they they changed the design of that, um, apparently and you got this tail switch that had like two buttons on it, uh, the, a larger button that was the main, you know, on off switch and then a smaller button next to it that changed the brightness. And that was a, that was a, unfortunately a, a poor choice uh, for that type of application because it was too easy to hit that, that uh, second button. And I think. I think Fenix has gotten away from those rear tail caps uh, like what was used on your light. Uh, I think they're sticking more with the plan of having the main tail cap switch and then a secondary uh, light that's closer down to the bezel. Um, So, yeah, that was a great lesson learned. And it's a great uh, uh, application, you know, kind of story to talk about that shows why some, some choices are good and some choices are not so good. Um speaking of, you know, we we've talked a little bit about strobe. What are your thoughts on Strobe, Jacob?
1: Yeah, so Strobe, I I think it was interesting. When Strobe became a thing, the premise of Strobe was I'm gonna like shine this strobe light at some BG somewhere, and they're gonna like have a seizure and fall on the ground. You know, like Yeah, like that was that was the premise it's like this this strobe will disable your attacker they like, they will their brain will shut down because of this flash flashing bright light, and that just doesn't happen like ever uh nor uh, do I think that the people who originally designed the strobe ever really intended it to do that um so so my gut feeling is i don't I'm, there there are probably some great examples of situations where strobe might be helpful, and so on a light you know that I'm caring for you know just as a as a good light that's got lots of you know brightness levels and things strobe might be fun but as a tactical light like the my the purpose of my light on my gun or when I'm shooting that I'm holding in my hand while shooting the purpose of that light is simply to illuminate my target area That's it. And it doesn't need to do that for any longer than I am shooting. So it goes right on when I fire. It comes right off when I'm done firing. And its only job is to light up the target area. It's not to blind someone or send them into some seizure or rage. So for me, I don't see a ton of application for the strobe, though I'm sure there's some very specific things where it makes sense. I
0: tend to agree. I mean... I I do think that a strobe could be disorienting and could be a a tactical uh, tool to use against certain adversaries, but I kind of feel like just having as bright of a light as you can is probably just as effective. I mean...
1: Just as disabling as a strobe, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean...
0: The other thing too is like if I'm in a situation where I feel like a strobe is warranted, it's probably also a situation where I don't need to be concerned with trying to activate uh, funky secondary settings on my light. Uh, it's like you know what, get the light on, blind, disorient. You know, but meanwhile I'm also making sure my weapon's ready.
1: You know, what I mean like, yep. I, well, I'll give you an example. We uh, <laughs> and maybe this is a bad example, but believe it or not, Jacob was once a bouncer. So. <laughs> I <laughs> I'm you're, don't laugh. It's not funny. <laughs> well, that's so, awesome, man. <laughs> you're just not the typical size for a bouncer, I think. No, I'm supposed <laughs> to be like really large and scary looking. And I'm the skinny white boy. Anyway, the most effective tool in, in a big crowded bar or, you know, club is a really bright flashlight. Like it was extraordinarily effective. If I needed to clear a path down the middle of the dance floor or anywhere else in, in one of those kinds of facilities, bam, you hit your light you shine it, you wave it back and forth in the path you're trying to create, the, the crowd will part because that light does hurt your eyes and you are like, oh, geez, like, get me out of this. So it it does have some efficiency, but would the strobe, if it had been flashing, would that have been somehow more effective? And maybe we're talking about two different applications, but I don't, my brain went there and, and I was thinking about, yeah, I, I totally do believe uh, that a bright light can disorient somebody piss somebody off or get someone to get out off the x but i don't inherently believe that the strobe is significantly more effective at doing any of those things yeah okay cool um next up let's
0: we've talked about strobe we've talked about uh we've kind of touched on holsters holsters can be a challenge as far as uh Finding one that fits your particular combination of gun and light. Um, we've talked a little bit about brightness le- set levels. Obviously, in a tactical situation, most of the time we want just max lumens. Um, I touched on it for practical use. It's nice to have something a little bit less than you know five hundred lumens all the time. Uh, that, you know, sometimes I've heard uh, comments come up with where someone will will, will kind of knock on a certain light uh, with all of its different settings. And they'll say, well, hey, you know, for me to get to my low setting, like how am I gonna do that without giving my position away? Uh, Because, you know, the first thing is super, super bright. Well, I I prefer a light that comes on the brightest it can be. If it does have multiple settings, I prefer it to come on max, you know, brightness right at the get-go. And here's the thing, I can hold that against my leg or against my hand, preferably my leg, doesn't uh, shine through as easily. And I can turn it on and I can adjust it to where I need it. And then you can pull it off the leg. And wow, <laughs> voila, I have my low power setting. And I, I just sometimes it never ceases to amaze, amaze me some of the arguments that are brought up about different things like that. And I'm like, look, just hold it against your leg. Anyway, um, power sources is something we kind of have here noted down. Um, I really, really, really like. Common batteries. Uh, there was a time where some of these really bright flashlight batteries, you know, CR123s and stuff, were not as common. They're getting, I think, to be a little bit more common. It's really easy to buy them, by the way. CR123s really easy to buy on Amazon, and they're pretty dang affordable that way. It used to be they were, you know, three, four, or five bucks a pop. Now you can get a pack of like ten or twelve or twenty, and they're much more reasonable. Uh, CR123s are great, by the way, because they're three volts a piece. And so you put two of those in a light and you got six volts that allows you to get, that's where some of these crazy brightnesses come from. But for a long time, I was a big, you know, like I just want AA or I want AAA and AAA is not terribly, uh, ideal. I do have a light that I really like that uses a AAA, a single AAA and that's the, uh, micro stream, the Streamlight MicroStream. micro stream, great little light. I think I got to send it in by the way, cause the switch I think is, uh, got like a little bit of a short or something in it. Cause I turn it on and it kind of flickers uh, it, well, it comes on nice. yeah i know uh, it is kind of lame so i'm going to see if i can get this, the switch replaced but yeah. um but i had a, a couple of lights that just used like two double a's and they are great one was a fenix um you're going to start to think i'm sponsored by fenix i just have had really good luck with their lights and they're very reasonably priced and they have some of the features i like um, i do have other lights by the way but i had this fenix uh ld22 which used two double a batteries Super slim body, so it was great, but it was a little bit long sometimes to have in a pocket. Uh, But I loved the fact that it just used two double A's, very cheap and easy to replace, right? Uh, You know, but now I'm starting to get, I'm I'm moving more towards lights that are rechargeable because, hey, why not? You know, everything else in this day and age is rechargeable. My phone is, my tablet, my computer, you know, all this other stuff is rechargeable. Uh, Why not my flashlight too? And uh, so I'll talk some more. Like I said, I've got this uh, new Fenix in my hands that I'm really excited about. I actually have two. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll probably save the other one for a pick next week or something.
1: Yeah, I, I have some beef with the rechargeable systems, and my my primary beef is, and and like I'm ready to be called out. Like listeners, like totally call me out. But my main beef is that things that need to be charged, if not charged over time, die regardless. And I think that, that that's my problem is that whereas things that are battery powered are much less likely to just over time those batteries stop working. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a total like Jacob perception. But it's my sense that if, if I have to charge this thing for three hours and it's supposed to last 100 hours of use, but I don't use it and it just sits there for six months, it'll be dead whereas the same kind of product if i just put batteries in it and i you know don't use it for 6 months it'll still work it maybe the batteries will die a little bit over time but probably it's going to be just as good and be just maybe. as effective over time so and i say that, i say maybe by the way
0: i say maybe by the way jacob because if you put batteries in a device and you let it sit for 6 months that's probably not a good idea anyway i was going of-
1: there i was going there corrosion well, yeah, corrosion's only half the problem, but there's also just a straight up factor of like what I would call uh, gear neglect. And this is true of guns. This is true of a lot of products and, and we shouldn't let anything that we plan on saving our lives with just sit there for six months and collect dust and assume it's still fine. And so, that thats That's the other side of this is it's you know the the first thing you any of you should be sending me hate mail about is Jacob, why the crap don't you test your light, you know, except for every six months? Like no, 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 I'm not saying that like i do I do test all my gear, I run my gear, I shoot my gear, um, and I make sure it's always working, you know, just like anything else, we swap out batteries at the first sign that anything's going wrong, or sometimes we just swap them out uh, because it's been a while, and so yeah, i I totally get that, but there's something about rechargeable. That, that some it puts me off and and that's part of the reason why is this like lack of confidence and it just working every time um now here's another thought and that that you know related to this conversation that would be the new kind of dual fuel concept
0: right well, and that's dual fuels is, is very very cool it's a very valuable i i think i idea to have you know flashlight and both I have two new flashlights that I picked up in the last few weeks. And they both have this capability, which is really cool. So you know what? I'm going to start. I'm going to start, you know, breaking the uh, the embargo I've placed myself under because I I can't keep talking about this topic and not mention a little bit more specifically. But so this light I have in my hands is the Fenix RC05 SE. I will address the difference between the RC05 and the SE in my actual official pick of the week. Diatribe. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned dual fuel. Well, this light will run off. It comes with a rechargeable. It basically looks like a AA battery. It's actually a touch longer than a AA. Um, but you can actually just throw a standard AA battery in this light. And while you definitely don't get anywhere near the lumens uh, that you do with the rechargeable battery, it's still actually pretty, it's not bad. And uh, it definitely functions just fine, uh, which is interesting because obviously a single AA battery is like 1.5, 1.6 volts. And uh, this rechargeable one is 3.6, uh, but it still seems to work pretty well. And and that's a great thing because in a pinch, oh crap, the the rechargeable just died on me. I still need to use this thing tonight. Throw a double A in it. It's going to get you through. And it's actually still bright enough to be usable in most close distance encounters. So pretty cool little light. Uh, I'll go into more detail. Like I said, in my pick Uh, dual fuel is really cool. So with rechargeables, though, Jacob, I typically use my lights enough uh, on an almost daily basis that I'm recharging them fairly frequently anyway, um, and not because they go totally dead. I never run things totally dead. I know some guys out there are probably like, oh, my gosh, like that's bad for the battery. It can be for some batteries and with some circuitry. Um, but frankly, my tools that get used a lot and on a regular basis, uh, I don't care if I, you know, if this battery here is rated for 500 or a thousand recharges, but I'm only going to get 200 out of it because of the way I use it and the way I recharge it, that's fine by me. You know what? Because I'm using it in the way that's most effective for me and my lifestyle. So that I'm making sure it's always ready to perform as opposed to running it totally dead and then recharging and then running it dead and, you know, Recharging, Um, That might be the ideal, but that doesn't make sense because then it's not potentially, you know, might die on me uh, one of these nights and I actually need it. So I would rather spend 15 bucks on a new battery uh, every 200 charges, which is freaking forever. (laughs) You know, I was considering I'm probably charging it once every week, once every three or four days at the, probably the Mm -hmm. the quickest. Uh, It's going to last me a couple of years. So Yeah that I I do like, I really, really like this idea of rechargeable batteries.
1: Yeah. I I don't, I don't hate it, but for me, it's for me personally, it's, it's a tool specific question. It's like, if we were talking about my weapon mounted light, I don't want rechargeable there. Like I want awesome powerfulness and it's just, it's powerful, full power all the time. And I'll replace those batteries uh, as needed. If we're talking about the flashlight that I'm going to carry on me all the time and I'm going to use it constantly, like, you know, Almost daily for little, you know, odds and ends. Then I want a cheap flashlight. I want cheap power. I want AAA batteries or a AA battery or rechargeable because I, I I go through it so much more. Um, you know. so anyway, I I think of it very kind of tool specific. It's like, hey, for this tool, does it matter or or, or is Jacob's paranoia kick in? It's like, no, I I only want this one thing. So like that that's how I would approach it.
0: that's very fair, by the way, to state. I mean, my patrol rifle, uh, flashlight and batteries in it, uh, definitely. I mean, I'm talking specifically right now this light that is in my pocket every day of my life. Right, sure. You know, like to me, this is one where rechargeable makes a lot of sense. But anyway, really good thoughts, by the way, brought up. I really like it. Uh, Good things for people to think about for sure. Um size and carryability it's funny because we're still talking just about lights. It's like, ah crap, should we get in the lasers sometime? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is the lights episode part two. Next week will be the lasers. Uh we'll see. So size and carryability, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on, but I think it kind of goes without saying that obviously this it's like a gun. You know, the smaller it is, the easier it is to carry and make sure you have with you all the time. Uh but one are one thought along those lines too performance
1: i mean how how many times has it happened right we've been in a low you've been in a low light class and you've seen someone's light light up in their pocket when they sit in a certain way or they're using a certain shooting position um so yeah, that light's probably too to big or the switch is in the wrong place and so you know talking about carry, carryability you know size included but also other things you know make sure you're carrying that in such a way that it's not going to illuminate you know without you asking it to, uh, through your clothes. And it's like, Hey, look, I'm over here, you know, see this big light in my pocket. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of other little things related to carryability. Um, I mean, it's one of the reasons it's really hard to get me to not use the brave response holster is because I love having a pouch in my holster for a flashlight. Um, regardless of what clothing I may be wearing, I know I always am going to have a flashlight with me because it's in the holster. So there's a lot of a lot of things to me related to how and where I carry the 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 light and and what how that dictates the right the proper tool.
0: Yeah, you and I disagree on that, by the way, a little bit just because I mean while I definitely see myself and i have occasionally had like a spare light in a brave response holster or a spare knife uh sometimes it's the the light especially for me is on the wrong side of the body like i I don't want to like you know i put my light on my left side because it's it's being used by my left hand so my right hand my shooting hand is free uh i i I only mentioned that just because i mean in all of our tactical decisions and choices about how we carry things, what we wear, how we dress, uh, we need to be considering use of those tools. And yeah, you that's know, the same reason why I say, you know, if I have cargo pants, uh, I know that those are probably like shoot me first pants. So speaking of shoot me first vests, but uh, <laughs> uh, if I have cargo pants or shorts, uh my wallet is in the cargo pant pocket of the, of my left leg very very intentionally you know like it's it's so it's the furthest thing away from my shooting hand and where my guns being carried you know what i mean mm-hmm. sure it, it's i'm just using that as another example of think through all these different things and ways that you do and and or carry things and how you would deploy them uh very carefully but, you know and if you can make carrying a light in your pouch on your brave response holster on your right side, Jacob, if you make that work, Hey, I have no problem with that. It works for you. It doesn't really work for me, but I just, I bring it up just so people will think about it. Let's talk to wrap up the light portion here about controls and activation. Your thoughts, Jacob, about, uh, how we, you know, how the controls are, are, uh, function. Well, we talked a little bit about that, but, uh, let's, be probably a little bit more thinking about weapon mount lights, I think, in this instance.
1: Yeah, I, I, there are instructors out there who feel strongly that if you're going to have a light or laser, for that matter, on that gun, then when you pick up that gun, it, it should just turn on, right? That, it, you know, some, some sort of grip sensor switch, something is just going to activate when I pick up the gun, when I, when I hold it, you know, in, in a shooting type position or grip or whatever we want to call it. And then there's kind of the other train of thought of why the crap would I want it to come on without me telling it to? Right? I I want to pick up that gun, and when I want it to come on, I flip it on, uh, and I, I hit the switch, or I do whatever. Uh, now the the devil's advocate of that line of thought is well, geez, you know, how are you going to do that? Do you have you know you're, if you if you grip a gun in a certain way, are you going to be able to take the take a finger off and reach over and hit the switch or hold this down while you do X Y Z? And those are, those are all viable arguments, frankly, on both sides of that debate. Now, here, here would be kind of where I, I'll come to a little bit of a conclusion on how I feel, and then I'll toss it back to you. And that is that I do not want my light on until I'm ready to shoot. The only thing I want that light to do is illuminate the target in the moment of fire and then cut, turn off. So that I, it, it's not to me like a, an advertisement of, hey, I'm over here and I'm just scanning around with my gun. I flip that light on to shoot and then, then I want the light off. And so because of that very specific core driven idea of mine, I will turn on my light when I want it on and I will turn it off. And, and what that ultimately means is it's it's going to require a certain amount of training on my end, on my part, to be able to operate that light and still be able to shoot my gun if, if I want to you know, actively turn it on and off.
0: Yeah. Yep. So I'm thinking about My choice of weapon-mounted lights, and my personal preference is a Streamlight TLR-1. And here's the reason why. For me as a right-handed shooter, and of course you can change this too, you can reverse the controls on those lights, uh, but but they come default more or less set up for a right-handed shooter. And so your support hand thumb is what activates the light. On the back of the Streamlight TLR series lights is a toggle switch. It rotates, you know, kind of clockwise or counterclockwise, and if you push the lever down on the left side, which would be like where your support hand thumb is, then it's a momentary on-off switch, right? It doesn't lock on, and that's beautiful because obviously I'm going to come out of the holster, I'm going to activate that light, I'm going to fire, and when I'm ready to come off, I just release that, that little toggle, toggle switch, light goes off. It's beautiful, Okay. But here's the thing, if I couldn't use that uh, support hand for whatever reason, I can flick that light switch down with my index finger, my, my trigger finger of my shooting hand, and it'll lock on, and instantly I can transition back to the trigger, fire, 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 and when I come off the trigger, I simply swipe up. And it, Oh, it's such a beautiful system. I prefer the TLR, TLR series, Streamlight um, Weapon Mounted Lights, for this reason, because I don't like the activation switch on the Surefire. Now, I know a lot of guys out there love how the Surefire ones work, and that's fine. Those are more like you push forward on the switch and it activates. Um, I just find I don't have as good success doing that as as a simple and intuitive you know, flicking on or off uh, that is set up so brilliantly for either your support hand thumb or your trigger finger of your shooting hand. It's really a clever system.
1: I have two other biases towards Streamlight. In addition to what you said, which I totally agree with, I appreciate Streamlight, uh, that they're, in my opinion, a more economic choice most of the time. Um, they're they're just better priced than Surefire and, and hey Surefire if I thought Surefire great crap yeah if I thought Surefire made the 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 product that was best for me I would pay for it like I'm not saying I'm the I'm the guy that's going to get lesser gear because it, you know I I'm, I'm too cheap uh, what I'm suggesting is if I have two tools that I think are equal I'm going to take the less expensive one or if I frankly prefer this tool and it's cheaper bonus. And so I'll just throw that out there that I do. You know, Surefire makes phenomenal products. Um, so does Apple, but I buy Windows computers. I don't know what to tell you. So on on the same token, you know, Surefire makes a great product, but Streamlight's a little bit more affordable, and, and, and I th- I think that matters. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so
0: the I I don't mean the knock on Surefire. I mean they make amazing products. Oh, totally. They are. I, frankly, I I think that they are the best in terms of quality. Uh, But there's just a few things about the way the activation works on those lights I don't personally like but for many of you out there, you may like. And if you like to pay more, that's fine. They are great products. I won't knock on them. I have a surefire on my rifle.
1: I mean, and so I'm not, nothing against the brand. I'm just saying that, you know, bonus, right? Yeah. But keep in mind, we're talking about right now, like how,
0: you know, be thinking about controls and activation and there are some products out there that aren't set up terribly smart. I sometimes see people that have these really cheap, uh, you know, weapon mounted lights uh, NC star makes one. And I see, it, you know, I follow these forums on Facebook and these groups and I'll see a, picture posted, and, and it, somebody's got a really nice gun, but they've got this crappy weapon mount of light on And an NC star, let's say. Let's say. And, and, and I'm picking on it because it uses this crossbar switch. So, basically it has a button on on the left, and a button, you know, and it, well, when you push it from the left to the right, it goes to the right, and it locks on, and then you turn it off by pushing that switch back to the left.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I have a one click of those. And a click.
0: Yeah, and it, it, well, I did too, because I think it Came, it came on a gun I bought from a guy use used, you know, and I was like, I played around with it. I'm like, this thing sucks. I tossed it in a box. You know, it's in my, my box of crap I never use <laughs> over here in the office, which one of these days I should, I should empty out that box. But, um, well, and I like to keep those things sometimes as examples of this is not a wise choice of equipment. And so that one's a poor choice because, one, there is no momentary on or off. And, and it, so it limits you to either on or off. And it's not terribly easy to use ambidextrously, uh, and so this is why we bring this up to, to hopefully encourage you to think about how these things function and make those make those good choices. Let me mm-hmm. pick on a little bit on the light I already mentioned from Surefire, the XC1. It's a really cool light, and for momentary on, it's actually pretty brilliant. It works simply. It works. It's easy. I mean, support hand and thumb is going to activate it pretty easily. You can activate it momentarily from the other side, uh, but my my beef with it is the con the constant on activation is not as uh, it's not very shooter friendly in my opinion. And, and I know there's other people that feel that same way about this light. It, it, it kind of functions a little bit like how the Nancy star works. There's, there's two separate switches. So there's, there's uh, the, the momentary on, but then there's a constant on switch and it basically requires you to push one side and then push the other side to turn off or something like that. So I, uh, you know, I mean, that's once again, it's just something that I think people should spend a little bit of time thinking about, think about how you're actually going to use a product. And then actually, by the way, use it because what you'll find a lot of times, if you don't, if you go with a light in particular uh, or any sort of accessory that's on a rifle or on a handgun and you don't actually go through some sort of training course where you're forced to use it and use it regularly, you don't discover the little things about it that make it not work. Is that true,
1: Jacob? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because everything is just theory. Even me and Jake, what me and Riley are saying right now that you're listening to, if you're like, oh, these are great points, it's still just theory. It's still just Jacob and Riley chatter until you stick it on a gun and go shoot. And then, then you realize that, you know what, this actually doesn't stick on your rail very well, or that in order to tighten it down, you got to do this, or that you just actually can't get your finger to operate that thing under these circumstances, or crap, when you switch and if you ever have to shoot support hand, you know, that you're screwed. You'll never operate that light support hand or whatever. So you, you, all these things, you know, are individual to some degree and you have to battle test them.
0: Yeah. There you go. So, lots of things to think about with uh, weapon-mounted or handheld lights. And we haven't even gotten to the lasers part, Jacob.
1: Yeah. Maybe we, we should do a part two. I think so. We're an hour into this. One, one last thought, sorry. <laughs> uh, as Talking about battle testing your gear. It, the, if, you're, if you feel like in order to test your light, you have to wait until it's dark and go out in the woods and shoot, let me, let me put some brakes on that idea. Not to say it shouldn't be done at all, but it's probably not the best place to start this journey. Um, I, I would highly recommend that you can go to a standard indoor range. And if your target's close enough, it's, it's, you're going to light it up. If you have a good light, you're going to know the light's working or not, and you can train in that environment, and you'll be just fine and you'll, you can still train operating your light. If you want to do something low light, I would highly encourage you to do that in, you know in the supervision of an of instructor uh, where you have or at least a buddy system at the very least, but preferably there's actually an instructor, you're taking a low light course where you're getting that first experience actually shooting in the dark, it's supervised, and that, that's probably a really good idea. Good advice. Some final words I would have
0: on this topic is about the actual brightness of lights. And in this day and age, it seems like we have this, uh, it's almost like the the space race, you know, the, the moon race, you know, back in the sixties when, you know, everyone was trying to be the first to either get a rocket into space or, or get someone on the moon. And I feel like there's this race taking place to make the brightest lights possible. Uh, you know, a few years ago, your brightest handheld light was like 300 lumens and that was like amazing. And then, you know, went 500 and 800 and thousand and like beyond a thousand now in these little compact lights Couple things to think about with that. With that brightness comes heat, and I have had, and I, I I do own a light or two that are handheld that are so bright that if you have them on for a minute or two, it can get very hot to the touch. And that makes it difficult to use. So that's a problem. Um and, and unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do to get away from it. like you 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 can't make a bright light and not have heat some way. Now LEDs are much better than incandescents. Incandescents generate more heat. Uh by nature of how an incandescent works as opposed to an LED, which is a diode, uh, as opposed to a filament that's actually
1: heating. Ooh, aren't <laughs> you so smart, dude? Like, look at you throw out these big words. Ooh.
0: <laughs> you know, but 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 LEDs, like, they still get hot. And the brighter you go, the hotter they get, the faster they get. And that's something to be aware of as well. But here's the other thing. I just don't buy into this that I've got to have a thousand lumen light or even a five hundred lumen light to be effective. And I followed. Well, I'll
1: throw uh, it. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was just gonna say I, I followed a, a thread, a discussion on Facebook uh, not too long ago where guys were arguing over that point, and they're like, you know, lumens win every time. You know, brightness wins every time. And like, you know, and, and some of them were throwing under the bus this argument that well, if I'm in a bright hallway or you know, a white. Uh, painted hallway and I'm going to, you know, get all this, I'm going to light up everything, including myself. And like, that's not what we want. I I do think that there's something to that, by the way, depending on the situation. Uh, But here's the thing. (laughs) Them saying you have to, you know, the bright, the more brightness you can get, the the better off you are, because you have to be able, you have to have a thousand lumens so you can see exactly what's in the hand of this person that's maybe posing a threat towards you. While I agree that it's very important that I have the brightness I need to identify clearly what someone has in their hands and what they're doing, so I can identify whether something is a threat or not, I don't know that you need a thousand lumens to do that in every situation, particularly in handgun-oriented situations, because we're most likely in close, distant, you know, close distances anyway. And I'll tell you what. So this is where I'm going with this. If you think you can't use a you know, something under 200 lumens as an effective defensive light. I mean, I, I would disagree with that. I mean, I would say, you know, guess again, try again, because I did a low light course once with entirely with a Streamlight Microstream. micro stream. These things, by the way, I think they're only like, what's well, 40 60 or 60 lumens? I think they're yeah. 60 lumens. Yeah. It's not that bright to be honest with you, bro. I mean, it is, no. it, I'll tell you what, compared to this one I have next to it, uh, I don't even know that the stream micro MicroStream is on next to it. You know, that's how dim it is in comparison. But I'll tell you what, in a very dark environment, the MicroStream does give you enough light that you can see stuff if it's very, very dark. But I did this entire low light course with the MicroStream just to kind of prove that I could do it. First of all, I was kind of curious and I thought it was a great challenge. And I was pushing myself because at the time that the MicroStream was my EDC uh, light It still may be, although I have a new love, I, I think, but, but I thought this is my EDC. I should practice with it. Right. We're always talking about practice, like, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, train, like you fight that sort of thing. And so I was able to do that course with a micro stream. Now, it was a little bit challenging, <laughs> in some instances. Uh, I would say past seven yards, maybe ten, it starts to get pretty challenging. It it, it drops off, but uh, up close and personal is definitely an effective light.
1: Well, I'll give you two other potential concerns about too bright and whatever you know, however you want to think of what's too bright. One is battery life. I mean, the brighter that light is, the Faster, it's burning the batteries. I can promise you that. So having something that's not as crazy bright will conserve battery life. And there are definitely some arguments for not wanting my light to die on me because I've been shining it so bright for so long. Um, another potential argument would be that, frankly, you could blind yourself. I and mean, we talk about how hitting an attacker or a BG with a bright light you know, has, has a certain disabling effect on them. That's true. And while you're behind the direct beam of the thing, If you flip on a thousand lumens in the dark where your eyes are pretty well adjusted to the dark and you're in that white hallway as we were talking about, be prepared to kind of crush your own vision for a minute. Your eyes will also have to adjust in a way that will immediately diminish your ability to make accurate shots. It'll take a minute. So those are two other potential arguments against it being too bright, whatever that might be.
0: Well, and that second one is that's really where it's at. Uh, I think, as far as Mm -hmm. the too bright can be too bright, be especially in like typical handgun distance encounters. A thousand lumens, five to ten feet. Yes, at well, even twenty-one or thirty feet, a thousand lumens is very bright, even to you, the one that's holding the flashlight and shining it away from you. It's bright. Go try it out sometime in a very very dark room, and turn it on. And it's your, your night vision will be affected by that. You're not just, there's not just an impact on, on your adversary. So really good thoughts there. Um, so guess what folks, we, we launched this episode thinking we're gonna talk about lights and lasers, but clearly there was plenty to talk about with just the lights. So we'll do a part two. So lights and lasers part two, which will be all about the lasers Uh, And anything we forgot about lights, (laughs) Uh, the next time Jacob and I are together for a Wednesday episode of the podcast. And so, today's episode is brought to you, by the way, by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense. You've heard it before, if you've listened to the podcast any length of time at all, uh, in the recent month or two. But guess what? This is the real deal. Andrew Branca, he is... The Man, where it comes to offering the best legal education related to the law of self-defense. Trust me, if you ever have to draw or use your gun in self-defense, you are going to want to know, number one, how the laws work or what you need to know about the laws, and two, how to minimize your vulnerability to prosecution and conviction by helping your self-defense your, – your defense team – Build the most compelling narrative of innocence, which is really critical because guess what? The prosecution, if you're ever on the wrong side of the prosecution, they will do everything in their power to paint an ugly picture. So you want the best defense team and you want to do everything right so you can paint the best picture about you and about your situation possible. So check out Andrew's resources. He has online through his uh, online training, live in-person training. Uh, newly released video DVDs, the best-selling book, Law of Self-Defense, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D for Law of Self-Defense, concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. And don't forget of our upcoming hosted Andrew Branca Law of Self-Defense course, the Level 1 Level 2 courses here in Lakewood, Colorado, November 11th and 12th. Please go check it out. Get signed up before you lose your spot in the class. Really great classes.
1: Well, and there's also an early bird discount. So if this is something you're thinking about, uh, don't don't wait until it's two weeks out because you have lost an opportunity to save a little bit of cash.
0: Right. Now is the time to get that early bird discount. I'm glad you mentioned that, Jacob. And also, today's episode is brought to you by Live Fire Drill Cards. These revolutionary training aids from Burnett are the slickest drill cards we've ever seen, which is why we've partnered with the creator to bring them to you. These cards will walk you through dozens of fundamental shooting drills that will help you shoot better, faster. These cards list all the requirements to shoot each drill. They detail parameters for those drills and give you multiple fields to record multiple runs to the drills so you can track your progress. I promise you will see measurable improvement towards becoming a better shooter over time. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash LFDC special. Concealedcarry.com forward slash LFDC special. Picks of the week. I've already talked a little bit about a little bit about a little bit about mine. <laughs> trying
1: to talk too fast here, Jacob. I want to hear about your pick this week. So my pick this week is Paul Revere's Ride by David Hackett Fisher. And if if you're listening to this, you're like, "Hey, this sounds great. I want to go buy it." Be, make, be careful because there's also a poem by the same name, Paul Revere's Ride, that was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I am not referring to that at all. Uh, I'm referring to the more, more recently published book by David Hackett Fisher called Paul Revere's Ride. Phenomenal book. Uh, it was very emotional, very powerful, and very educating. And uh, David Hackett Fisher is Fisher's a great historian. Um, he also wrote a book called uh, Washington's Crossing, which is a very, one of my favorite books about Washington at about, uh, about 1775, 1776 uh, time. And this book is also a great, great read by by David Hackett Fisher. It talks a lot about kind of what built up to the Lexington and Concord uh, battles, events that we know of what Paul Revere's real role was in the revolutionary uh, movement. And it really in a very detailed way uh, outlines kind of what actually happened in all those events um, as a true historian would do it. And it's, it is really fantastic. It's amazing. And I learned some things I did not know. And I, in fact, unlearned some things I thought I knew about Paul Revere and the battles of Lexington and Concord. Amazing read.
0: Cool. Thanks for that uh, pick. And my pick this week is the Fenix RC05 SE Flashlight. This is, beware, this is different from the Fenix RC05. The SE, I think, stands for Special Edition, and that is because it is a special edition that they did in collaboration with REI, the uh, Outdoors Gear Store, REI. Um, Here's the thing. Why this specific one? Well, because the Fenix RC05... Is a really cool light by itself, rechargeable, super bright, 300 lumens, has four different settings plus strobe, uh, which I don't particularly use. Uh, But uh, the thing is with the classic RC05 is that it only had a side uh, mounted switch. Okay. And that is not how I use a small tactical flashlight. I want something on the rear for my thumb. And... The RCO5 does not have that tactical tail switch. That was a problem for me. Uh, I discovered though that REI made it, had a special edition that they did with Fenix, that's called the RCO5SE. And that one is, the only difference is that it adds a tactical tail switch. And it still maintains the side button as well near the bezel, so you can change the brightness settings if you want. And I said, I've got to have that. Now, why was I looking for this light? Well, because it's really small and compact. It is not much bigger than the Streamlight MicroStream, which I have been a big fan of, of for quite some time. Uh, it's uh, maybe three-eighths of an inch longer than the MicroStream. And its biggest difference is with the diameter of the barrel of the light. It, it is quite you know, I mean, basically the RCO5SE or RCO5 is a A sized light, whereas the MicroStream is a AAA. Uh, so you, you kind of get a sense of, about the difference, but it is still much slimmer than many other even A battery-powered lights that I've seen out there. It really... Does not feel any different in my pocket, um, as far as practical everyday carrying size. Um, but it is way brighter than the MicroStream. It is its max brightness is 300 lumens. You do not get 300 lumens if you use a standard AA battery, but with the rechargeable one, you do. Uh, and uh, that's that's pretty impressive. And I'll tell you what. Here's the other impressive thing. And we did by the way, Jacob. I just realized we totally missed a topic. <laughs> or, or a part of talking about lights. I, I think I alluded to it somewhat, but one very important variable I think with tactical lights is I think throw is more important than brightness. Uh, throw uh, a meaning,
1: vocabulary yeah, lesson. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Throw meaning, you know, having kind of that focused beam to where you can reach that light will really reach out there. I think is more important than, than brightness a lot of times, particularly if we're talking about a carbine, probably not as critical and close distance encounters. But uh but this one, I'll tell you what, one thing that you sometimes see with uh, small head, you know, small bezel lights. So this one has a pretty small head on it. Uh is that they don't always have a very good throw. This one, however, I think is an exception to that. It has an exceptionally good throw, meaning like I can, I could can stand at one end of my backyard. My backyard is not huge. I mean, it has still very good focus at the other end of my backyard, which is probably 80, 90, I don't know, 100 feet. It is still very well a nice focus beam with a, with the right amount of floodlight. Uh, I'm just very happy with the overall package size. Uh, and performance of this little light. Uh, about 50, $50 to buy this. Um, but the only downside is I can't just give you a link to REI or excuse me, to Amazon. Uh, you have to get this through REI. I have not been able to find the RC05SE anywhere else. That's a big downside, but it's a really cool light. Otherwise, now there is one minor complaint, and it has been minor for me. And that is, there is a perceptible delay between activating the tail switch and the light actually coming on. It's very slight, but it is there. Hmm.
1: But Like it's warming up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe, I suppose. But I mean, obviously with these these lights anymore now, they have quite a bit of circuitry built into them. And I kind of suspect since this light was not originally designed for a tactical uh, tail switch, uh, that something to do with the electronics in it, you know, it just, it's causing a little minor, minor delay. It's really so minor. I'm not overly concerned about it from a tactical perspective, but it is worth noting. Cause I mean, I think some, if some of you guys out there listening went ahead and go get and got, went ahead and got this light, you might be kind of like, "Whoa, that's a little bit strange. Cause it is a little bit, a little bit unusual and a little bit noticeable.
1: There you go. Not, not as, as cool as the book way. I recommended, but sure.
0: Um, probably not, but I still think it's pretty cool. <laughs> What's so, next for you, Riley? Next up, I have a bunch of videos I got to get done. Like a bunch. Any Guardian Nation members out there, you know that we pri- we haven't really done a good job of getting uh, updated uh, training videos in the uh, members area of Guardian Nation. And so I plan to make a bunch here very soon. And we're going to be probably changing some of that up just a, just a little bit as far as how those videos are are done a little bit. So I'll just kind of tease out yeah. somewhat.
1: And also how they're organized or right. used.
0: Right, right. So, uh, and frankly, I think it's for the better. I think it's a, a good idea. I mean, the original idea, Honestly. the concept, I think was a good one too. But we're realizing it's there's there's a better way to do it even still. So so I'll be looking forward to that. I just have a crap load of videos I got to do.
1: Mm-hmm. What's your up next? Up, up, up next for me, the yeah, product launch. So I'm trying to think how to best tease this without giving away too much of the farm. We uh, found a company in greece that was making a product that is an accessory for glock handguns and we thought it was a very cool idea good concept and we were able to secure the uh, exclusive united states distribution rights so we'll be the only ones selling this product uh wholesale or retail um for the time being, I, I suppose we could wholesale it to another retailer. But anyway, we're, we've secured the distribution rights for this product. And so we're getting ready for a product launch in mid-October. And I'm pretty excited about it. It's a very affordable um, you know, product that I think has some application for anybody that has a Glock.
0: Cool. There you go. I kind of think, Jacob, that there might be the potential to make that for other models.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: I don't know. I could be totally wrong. I just, yeah, it is obviously limited to Glock. And for some of you out there, that will mean that you won't be able to buy or use it. But it doesn't mean that something won't come along. And I'm not saying that anything is. I just, I'm just, i just thinking out loud here. That's just Riley doing his thing. Anyway, <laughs> so cool stuff. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see that product. I've seen the product. I've handled it. I've tried it. Um, I, In fact, I've got it sitting right here on my desk. And uh, it goes right on the Glock 19, and it works as advertised. So really cool, innovative product. Nothing else out there like quite like it. So there's your tease. Looking forward to that. So with that, I think it's time we better sign off. It's been plenty long for this episode today. And uh, next week we have some really exciting stuff. And let me just tease real quick. We've already recorded this interview, and that is we did an interview a couple days ago with Tim Schmidt president of USCCA, the United States Concealed Carry Association. And it's a really cool interview. So go check that out. Uh, That'll be coming on Monday. October 2nd. October 2nd. Yep. But kind of a big news or big tease is that he will be announcing in that episode, some exciting news from USCCA. I can't say what it is yet. I can only tease it and just know they've got an excitement. They'll be announcing it on Monday. We'll be we'll be the first place outside of USCCA to announce it as well on Monday. Pretty dang exciting. If you're a USCCA member or if you're thinking about being a USCCA member, uh, it's worth a listen, worth and worth checking out. And regardless, uh, so. Pretty cool and, and a good interview with Paul or not Paul, jeez, Tim. And I was looking at Paul Revere's riot again on my notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we like Paul Revere, but yeah. he's not uh, the president. Yeah,
0: No, a really good interview with Tim and also he is going to be our Guardian Nation live guest in October so we're looking forward to that as well.
1: On October 12th, for those of you who are members and want to put that on your calendar.
0: Yeah, October 12th, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Already scheduled, already in the books. Uh, it'll be a good time. So, Looking forward to that. That'll be a great uh, interview, a great episode. We'll see you Monday in that. And so here we are, Riley and Jacob with the Concealed Carry Podcast, signing off. And a reminder to train right, train off, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone.